0: Welcome back, everyone, to yet another new episode of the What the Niche podcast. And as always, I am your host, Andrew Morris. Now, before we get chugging along for today's episode, I'd like to remind my listeners again to check out Brian Rodman's newest comic book release for his series, Memoirs of an Angel. I posted the link of where to find that in the episode description. Another former guest, Major Payne, will be dropping an album in just a few short weeks. And last Friday, he dropped another new song from that album called No Cap. I've posted the link for his new song in the episode description as well. I'd also like to give a plug for Mitch Embry, who is my guest today. He has a podcast and it is called Just Friends. It is a wonderfully lighthearted show, which I was a guest on back in the olden days of the never-ending year that is 2020. And the last thing on the agenda is I'd like to thank all of those who chose to participate in the giveaway for the podcast last week. Big congratulations goes out to the winners, Eric Woodrell, Pat Taylor, and Caleb Hancock. Thank you so much for participating in that. And now, it's on to this week's episode. in this week 's episode, we dive into another heavy and thought provoking conversation about faith and agnosticism God
1: that our neighbors believe in is essentially an invisible person he's a creator deity who created the universe to have a relationship with one species of primate <laughs> lucky us <laughs> and and he, he's got he 's got Galaxy upon galaxy to attend to, but he's especially concerned with what we do, and and he's especially concerned with what we do while naked.
0: (laughs) Just because they're offended by someone being gay, it doesn't
2: mean they're right. You know, it's a strange thing that comes out of that being gay is a choice. No, being gay isn't a choice. Mm. You know, I want to go, 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 you try
0: it then. Mm. If it's a choice, have a go. (laughs) See how much you like it. (laughs) You know. <laughs> do you
1: give people who make this case that that was the beginning and that there had to be something
3: that provoked the beginning, do you give them an A at least for trying to reconcile faith and reason? Um, I don't think they're reconcilable. What do you mean? Well, well, So let me say that differently. All efforts that have been invested by brilliant people of the past have failed at that exercise. They just fail. And so I don't, I don't, the track record is so poor that going forward I have essentially zero confidence, near zero confidence that there will be fruitful things to emerge from the effort to reconcile.
1: Just try it for a second. I mean, you, you imagine that everyone in Paris right now is getting along fine without all of us. I mean, none of us are in Paris. We are really, really materially absent from whatever is going on in every other city on this planet right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were absent for all of human history before your birth. Uh, the idea that you, that you simply can't imagine not existing after death is really kind of a just for lack of trying I think.
0: <laughs> if someone said we're banning religion I'd march to not have it banned because it's your right to believe what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's your right to be wrong, mm.
3: and I'll fight for that right. If you knew nothing about science, and you read, say, the Bible, the Old Testament, which in Genesis is an account of nature, that's, that's what that is. And I said to you, give me your description of the natural world based only on this. You would say the world was created in six days, and that stars are just little points of light, much lesser than the sun. In fact, they can fall out of the sky, because right? that's what happens during during the um, Revelation, one of the signs that yeah. the second coming is that the stars will fall out of the sky and land on Earth. So it's even write that means you don't know what those things are. Everybody who tried to make proclamations about the physical universe based on Bible passages got the wrong answer. <laughs> so what happened was when science discovers things and you want to stay religious or you want to continue to believe that the Bible is unerring. What you would do is, you would say, well, let me go back to the Bible and reinterpret it. Then you'd say things like, oh, they didn't really mean that literally, they meant that figuratively.
0: When questioning our existence, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. The uncertainty of it all can be uncomfortable and I understand a need to feel relief from that feeling religion or faith is as old as humanity often providing relief from that very doubt but the intrinsic need for answers to those impossible questions persists who created life why do I exist what is the meaning of everything These existential meanderings can be exhausting, but another pathway to truth has run parallel alongside the varying denominations of the world, growing in its scope and efficacy, building upon the foundations of those juggernauts of the cerebral. Science endures and admits fallibility amidst its growth. It seeks not to destroy belief in deities. Rather, it circumnavigates the need to figure in the unknown into the equation. The tangible and sometimes imperceivable coalesce in a twisted web of method and theory. Every day there are likely as many questions presented as there are answers, posing the notion of acceptance. Pursuance of the truth is the never-ending journey, because our perceptions are fluid. Meaning, we are always improving our knowledge, our abilities to understand, and our capabilities to work together. Therefore, the unknown doesn't frighten or perplex me, because it is an ever-present constant and I avoid offering it much of my focus. However, I find solace in knowing every day the void grows smaller. Finding my own comfort and knowing my energy will never be destroyed. I will always be something. And while I'm still here, I will direct my energies to love and believe in those collections of matter which surround me. I believe in myself. I believe in my wife. I believe in my friends. I believe in my family. So as you can see, I am not without belief. I am filled with it. And it is my hope that someday those differences in belief are inconsequential. And that brings me to my guest today, Mitch Embry. He is a husband, educator, philosopher, a fellow podcaster, and a self-proclaimed agnostic. In our conversation, we examine what it means to have belief in a higher power and how it feels when those perceived tenets of faith begin to become doubts. We also discussed how others view you based upon your beliefs, especially when you change them. During our chat, Mitch discusses his journey into non-belief and details how questions eventually led to changes within him. I found many of Mitch's musings about his journey to be thoughtful and sincere. I hope my audience gives this conversation a chance, regardless of your own preconceived notions on faith or belief, and I hope they can come away feeling as though they're more attuned with those within the atheist or agnostic group of people.
2: So my name is Mitch Embry. Um, I grew up in the south end of Louisville. I've been here my entire life. And uh, up until last December, I also was a member of a church in the south end of Louisville. Um, I'll leave the name of that church out, but it was uh, something that I participated in since the the beginning of the church. It It was a church plant. It didn't exist. And then I got started. I played music in the band there for, gosh, it must have been about 10 years. And that was a big part of my life. And then, um, only recently I made the decision to step away from that place and to separate myself from it because the truth was, um, I was being dishonest with myself and with everybody around me. And I was representing myself in a way that was, um, dishonest. And, you know, I wanted to try to, uh, be true to who I am as a person and to represent myself in a way that is. Um, honest and has integrity, and so for the past four months i 've been experimenting with the idea of what it looks like to be openly unaffiliated with a religious group and so that 's been a really interesting process but uh, i 'm thirty one years old I worked for as a teacher in Jefferson County Public Schools for about four years, and uh, now i 'm off doing new and interesting things and trying to see what it means to be an adult. In the year two thousand twenty,
0: boy, and that's a minefield within itself. I mean, there's so many different directions that you can go, and things of that nature. And um, yeah, man, I, I thought it was an interesting thing when you had talked about your your dealings with faith, and and um, it's always intriguing to me to just see just how many people take a similar path, whereas in later in life they begin to question those things that were ingrained in them. Uh, from childhood. You know, you say 10 years in, you know, you were likely probably involved in the church since you were very
2: young. If I had to guess. Actually, no, you know, that's an interesting thing about me that's kind of weird is when I was younger, when I was younger, my parents, um, my mom was involved in church and uh, we were baptized myself and my sister and we would participate. Um, But then as we got older, you know, it's harder and harder for your parents to make you do things you don't want to do. So I kind of stopped going. And I was, for a while, I would have described myself as an atheist, but I don't know if I had thought about that really. I don't know if I fully understood what it meant. I had only decided that I wasn't going to church, and so I wasn't one of those people. So I must be something else. And then in my early, no, it was actually my late teens. I was probably 17 or 18. I just built this group of friends um, who we're consistently going to church and we're a part of that crowd and we're invested in that way. And I saw a community there that I wanted to be a part of. And and they had, um, I guess I saw represented in that group of people qualities that I would have liked to have taken on for myself. And so I saw value in joining that group. And in the process of joining that group, I, I came to be a true and honest believer in in, um, Christianity as a whole. And, and I really kind of poured myself into learning what that was and figuring out, you know, what it meant to be a Christian and how to uh, organize my life in such a way that it would fit in with the doctrines that were being taught. And that was a really interesting growing process for me because for the first few years, man, I was really all in. Like I, I joined a church. I started playing music in that church band and all of my friends were churchgoers. They were, and friends that I'd had from before who didn't attend church started coming to the church that I was going to. And this community kind of built around this new and interesting thing in my life that all stemmed from, uh, learning that, I guess learning about what Christianity was and meeting a bunch of people who were Christians. And then after spending 10 years there, 10 very formative years, you know, like 18 to 28, yeah. Learning about who I am as a person and and it's also like being in college and being asked, like, what do you think? You need to think about what you think and be able to express to people what you think. I started to realize like, oh shit, <laughs> you know, like I've been doing this thing for such a long time uh, and I never really thought about whether or not I, I actually truly agreed with everything that I was encountering and all of the ideas and the concepts that I was coming across and then once I started to do that man it was a strange process happened and I started to realize like oh shit maybe I was actually closer to who I actually am when I was younger and I thought of myself as being I thought I would I would have described myself in my early teens as an atheist but that was not true then. And it's definitely not true now. Um, I just didn't understand what that meant when I was 15 years old. And the truth was, is I didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian when I was 17 years old. And I started getting back into that process. So the, the whole thing for me is really as much as it is about faith and as much as it is about, um, you know, what I believe and, and, and what types of things I subscribe to really more than anything else. It's been like a growing process and asking myself, like, what do I actually think and what do I actually value? Um, in the process of doing that, lots of changes have taken place.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad to my own assumptions, uh, you know, you talk about 10 years and then I jumped to, Hey, I assume
2: you've been doing this forever. Um, well, it's, an, it's a it's a it's a. It's an honest assumption because most people do, you know, most of the people that I spent a lot of time with at church, their parents were there. It it is a part of their life from the very, very beginning.
0: Yeah, it was for me. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church. I won't cover this story too much in detail because I've went over it, but started at four years old. I went to a local church. Uh, I have named them. They're all great people. I have nothing bad to say about the church as a whole. I went to Beachmont. My mom had went there for years. Uh, and then i went to ninth and O, uh, some of my teenage years, cause it was more in my neighborhood. It was closer to me. Uh, then they tore that church down, moved it out here, uh, in Fern Creek, which was really no longer an option at that point. It was just too far. Um, so yeah, I, I have a similar path and I can, I was a little different than you in my early formative years after I left the church at about 16. Uh, I haven't covered this. I considered myself more spiritual, Uh, So I I followed in line with my mom. Uh, You know, my parents were really um, important in those formative years where my father was pretty much an adamant atheist at that point. Um, And I think his was a a war of attrition on his faith. Um, I don't think he was a willing atheist. He didn't come to those conclusions on his own. He was mad at um, life. Like he felt like he had been given a raw deal. Um, And I think that that's where he had come to feel comfortable. He's like, well, obviously there's nothing because uh, if there is something, uh, you know, she's a cheeky cunt, you know, (laughs) you know, not to be too crass, but I mean, that would have been what my dad would have had to say about it. And, you know, my mother was very spiritual, um, almost not, not like in a hippie woo-woo way. She didn't have fucking stones at the house or, Anything like that here, take this powder crystal with you, son. Uh, not to, and then I'm not making fun of anybody, um, but for me, that just maybe somebody can explain it to me. I'd be more than willing and open to having that conversation with somebody. Um, but, you know, she was like, there obviously is something at work and so on and so forth. So I kind of had that mindset for uh, a long time. And uh, it didn't come until my later formative years uh, when I was 30. Uh, And I talked about this before my father passed away. And then, you know, I did some deep soul soul searching uh, for months and months of things that, you know, before that I was probably very much agnostic. And then I moved into what, you know, I would now say full-blown atheism. Um, So I like to dive right into some of the things that uh, are misconceptions or, you know, false perceptions that people make about uh, different things. And I gave a little bit of my own story, uh, which will probably lead right into this. So as someone who is um, proclaiming proclaiming themselves to be agnostic, what are some of the uh, the misconceptions that you're often
2: presented with? Well, you know it's it's interesting because I can talk about the and I will talk about the misconceptions about agnostics and about atheists. I suppose as a whole, but I can also talk about some of the misconceptions about Christians Mm -hmm. because I kind of have both of those experiences. So in terms of like being an atheist or an agnostic, I really experienced um, a lot of adversity when I was younger because I would say that I was an atheist. And that was because I think the majority of people at the age that I was when I was saying that had just not decided to think about what they actually thought. And they had been fed this story from their families, their parents, or their grandparents. Somebody had told them this tale, and they had just accepted it as truth, as so many people often do. But at the time, because I was saying I was an atheist, what I was actually saying was, I've thought about what you're saying, and I disagree, and so this is what I think. But what was wrapped up into that was, oh, that just must mean you're a heathen. You must have no moral values. You must not care about other people's immortal souls. Um, You must not care about your own worth or your own value. Because from from a Christian perspective, I was created to accomplish a certain goal that was preordained by this divine being who has a plan for my life and who wants me to be successful and accomplish certain things. And by saying that I was an atheist, I was just basically saying, fuck you to God, Um, which wasn't what I was trying to do. What I was trying to say was I hear your stories and I see holes and I'm going to need you to do a better job of filling those holes for me before I'm going to be willing to accept what you're giving me as true because I'm a discerning individual and I want you to provide me some type of proof or some type of um, context for whatever stories you're telling. Me. And then another interesting uh, thing that's happened now as an adult, who's just slowly starting to express myself as a person who is not a Christian. I got a lot of people saying to me, like, you know, we saw this coming because a lot of times when people become well-educated, they stop being Christians. And when The person who said that to me said that to me. I was like, first of all, I was like, bro, you have a master's degree in divinity. So, you know, there's that. So he's been, I guess, immersed in uh, the whole Christian narrative, even throughout the course of his education. But I was like, don't you feel feel almost a little guilty about saying to me that you think the only reason that I don't agree with your story is because I'm too well-educated. And I think what he was actually saying was that as an atheist, I think what he was saying was the, the – um, what's, the, what's the word that means you're invested in school? The academic – I think what he was actually saying was the Academia. academic community
0: yeah, academia
2: builds atheism into the narrative that they teach. So, those are two really interesting precon, like misconceptions that I think people have. I feel like I have a strong moral compass. And the truth is, is that a lot of my morality has been given to me or I've learned it fr- from, you know, a core of a Christian, like way of thinking because everybody around me whether they had thought about it or not very much would have expressed that they were Christians in some capacity.
0: It's interesting that you bring that up because uh, uh, there's a show on Afterlife and I'm going to give a free plug for Ricky Gervais here uh, He yeah. doesn't need it <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah. Um, on Netflix, you guys should really, if if you find this conversation interesting at all, please watch that show. It is absolutely heartbreaking and funny and thoughtful and insightful. And I think it'll be that way for anybody, uh, even though Ricky Gervais is a self-proclaimed atheist as well. But he said something in an exchange because you talk about morality and a sense of moral compass. And he brought up something to a young lady uh, in an exchange in the show. And she's like, so you're an atheist, so uh what is to stop atheists from raping and murdering people? And he goes, so the only reason you're not raping and killing people is because there's a book that tells you not to do so. He's like, you know how many people I've raped in my life? He's like, as many as I've wanted to. And she goes, <laughs> what? And he goes, yeah, and that would be absolutely none. <laughs> He's like He's like, the total sum being zero, that's how many people I've wanted to rape, thus how many people I have raped, because I have an instilled moral compass that's in all of us, you know, it's it's instinct, you know, you don't kill people because you, you. that's ingrained in you, I think, always, you just know that it's wrong, uh, you know, a wolf takes care of its cubs because it knows that it should. Uh, so, you know, we often like to separate ourselves uh, from animals and things of that nature, because You know, we think we're above it. Well, at the end of the day, we are animals and there's certain instincts instilled in us. uh, Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you
2: say that because a lot of the people who, a a big part of what recently caused me to start considering, reconsidering my own faith and my own affiliation with this Christian church. it, It had nothing to do with the church that I was involved with. They are and continue to be amazing people. Some of them are more thoughtful and introspective and more well-informed than others, but that's all people. And this community of people that I, the biggest reason why it took me so long to make the decision that I made was because I, I didn't want to break away from that community of people whom I valued. But that being said, there are so many people who never really think about why they think the things that they think. And so if someone came to me and was like, well, what's stopping you from just murdering somebody now that you're not a Christian? I'm like, well, think about that for just a second. Think about that question. You just ask me for just a second. What am I? I'm a human being. I'm an animal. Just like you said, what type of animal am, animal am I? I'm a social animal. I grew up in small groups of people. We evolved to interact in small groups of people. You're not going to be allowed in that group if you're fucking murdering and raping people. It's built into what we are as a species to be able to effectively interact with large groups of people. And you don't get to do that by forcing yourself upon other people. So the thing is, is it's it's a there's a, a lack of information. And I think that kind of goes back to what was said to me about like, oh, well, you you got educated. So now you're you're ruined. Towards Christianity. It's like, no, I've heard the story and the story that I've been given that makes a whole lot of sense about what I am. Man, it just doesn't mesh with the story that you're giving me. And I need them to. I need them to because I got lots of proof over here about what's been going on for the past 100,000 years. And then you've got this really cool story with tons of awesome wisdom. That can be used to build a, a really effective life strategy, but you don't have a lot of evidence to prove that I should take you totally seriously.
0: Yeah, and you know that's that's one of those things. It's it's a tough thing uh, to reconcile. Like as you're, you know, you're searching through your faith and you're you you know you're taking in the sum total of parts in your life experience to see what things make sense for you, and. I never wanted any of these conversations to to devolve into, you know, this is a promotional. uh, This is brought to you by atheists for atheists that come coming at you hot. That is not what this is meant to be. And I please advise you to, uh, if anybody listens to this, uh, and, you know, the hope is that you will, please visit the conversations that I had with Joseph Freck. Um, very very beautiful, very profound, very thoughtful individual um, who has done those things and is going out some of those um, broad strokes that you've, you've put that forth with a lot of the individuals that are Christians. You know, because it's easy to say they don't always think. Some of them do. Um, I have another buddy who, you know, does have his master's in divinity, is now a Latin teacher. I spoke with him, uh, Timothy Marcy. Um, that's another shout out. I, don't I know do you remember really?
2: his wife, Lindsay. Yeah, Talking, Lindsay. Yeah,
0: were, that was a great podcast. Yeah, um, we talked about teaching. I may bring him back in just because he is so well versed uh, and really knows the scripture. I think it would be great to actually mm-hmm. sit down. and He's thoughtful and sweet and just just a great guy. Um, and then there was another podcast that I had with a friend, David Hoover. Um, that that's probably one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had in my life. Um, just because. Um, it was really it was really important to hear a conversation from um, someone who is a homosexual and how they are able to follow their faith, especially as a Pentecostal, Pentecostal, um, which is very rigid uh, and very deep rooted in the, the Southern Christian values and things of that nature. So I think that visit those conversations because none of this is meant to be degrading or anything of that nature, because I can certainly see the value and the benefit of community.
2: Yeah. And, you know, let me go back to what I was saying earlier, because I said I could also talk about a lot of the misconceptions about Christians. Mm -hmm. And one of the main misconceptions about Christians is, well, they're all hypocrites. They don't actually believe what they're saying. And no, that is bullshit. Yeah. You know, they're all hypocrites. So is every other human being on the planet. We all say (laughs) we think one thing and then behave in another way. I talk all the time about mindfulness on my podcast, and it's been weeks since I've meditated because I'm an undisciplined piece of shit. But that's that's (laughs) a different story, you know. So there are people in this community like Joe Freck, who is genuinely one of the kindest, kindest, and most compassionate human beings I've met in my life, who believe fully. In the story that they're telling, and they truly and genuinely believe, and perhaps even correctly, that they could bring value to your life by giving you the same story that that brought value to their life, and you know, and that's why Christians um, are so, you know, it's it's one of it's the Great Commission: go and forth and spread the good news. But it's also a big part of why Christians do proselytize is because they want you to have what they have. And they're good, genuine people who have found this way of living and this way of thinking that really works for them. And they want to give it to you because they think you would benefit from that. And there's love in that. And right. there's kindness and compassion and grace in that, which is beautiful.
0: So yeah, Penn Jillette, not to derail you, but Pingelet had said that same thing. Um, you know, He's like, if you have a friend who's a Christian, and I won't go into too much detail because I cover some of these things over and over again, but he said that if you have a friend who is a Christian, and that's truly what they believe, and they are proselytizing to you, don't get upset. It means that they truly care about you um, because they want you to be a part of the thing that they feel is, is the salvation, is the way into something better when you die. So they want you to come with them. That's like the greatest compliment they could ever give you. They're like, damn, dude, it's too bad. You're a, a fucking great guy, but you're going to burn. You know, <laughs> that might be how they look at it, but they mean well. Like, yeah, they want you to come with them. They're not like, because if they didn't give a shit, guess what? They would just shut up and walk <laughs> away. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're pushing at you and because they do like you, you know, and I've had those conversations with many uh, a great Christian, uh, people that I've worked with in car people that I worked with at, uh, the Cooperage where I made barrels. I used to have, uh, what I would begin to call the faith lunch hour. I would sit down with this other guy, uh, the student named art that I worked with there and me and him would just go back and forth. And, um, uh, it was great because he was a student of all faith. Like, you know, so he would bring in things from Buddhism. He's, he would be like, well, Buddha said this. And he would be like, well, uh Muhammad said this and you know, he would bring it in and, and correlate those things in a unif- unification of a greater belief, you know? And so those conversations can be had. And I, I think it's, it's absolutely correct that you, you hit it there. And there are Christians out there that are doing it the right way and that fully do believe what they, what they're, what they're preaching.
2: And uh, I'd even go further to say that a lot of the Christians that, that, the maybe a listener who is kind of averse to the idea of being a Christian. A lot of the Christians that you've encountered who maybe uh, turned you off to the thoughts or the, the concept of Christianity, that's a person. That's an imperfect person. And they're not nailing it. They're not getting it all correct. And they're dealing with their own crap and they're trying to figure it out as best they can, just like everybody else. They've also just chosen to accept this narrative and these values that come along with this narrative, and they've chosen to express that to you. That doesn't make them immediately divine or immediately righteous. It makes them a person who's just as screwed up as every other person, who has nothing figured out any better than anybody else, who just often also happens to express this belief in Christianity at the same time that they're failing miserably at a lot of the things that they'd like to be doing well, just like me. So that, when I said earlier that there are a lot of, when I, when I made the accusation, I guess that some Christians or some people just don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what they truly believe. I'm not, trying to represent those people as not being thoughtful or not being smart or well-informed or well-educated. They've just chosen to think about other stuff. They just accepted this one thing is true and they don't need to think about it anymore because they, they believe that it's true and they've focused their attentions on other things. That's
0: a great point.
2: (laughs) And so I get it. I get it. There's a lot of stuff that I'm just like, cool, that makes sense. I'll take that and run with it. And it just so happens that in my life, most of those things have not been things that are super representative of who I am as a person. And that's what's true about Christianity is it often becomes an identity. And it was for me big time for the, for the years that I was a part of this community and a part of this congregation and leading this congregation as a as a music minister basically i mean that wasn't necessarily my true title but that's that was the role that i was filling in this group of people is strange
0: yeah and i hadn't thought about that point um wherein you said that there's no need to pursue the truth because they found it Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's something difficult for me because you know and that's another thing that's been proposed by um, other atheists in the community, you know, and people will be like, so if God came down from the clouds tomorrow and spoke to you, would you accept it? And they go, yes, yeah. because I'm, the, I'm a reasonable person and I'm just a, believing and not to say again, I'm not painting with broad brushes and not saying everybody else is unreasonable. That is never my goal, but this is their thought Uh, within reason and logic. I would take the things presented to me that I can see and I can touch. uh, And then I move forward with that and a belief in that. Um, So yeah. And and the same goes for me. If you did that tomorrow, uh, I've had these conversations with one of my neighbors at school. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'll believe. Sure. Um, And it, if we say that, you know, if you're going into the scripture and you say everybody, humans were made in God's likeness, am I also not a part of that likeness? Is the questioning bit of me not part of that two-sided uh, coin to where you take things at faith and then at the other, uh, you question everything? Um, because if at the end of the day, if you've accepted it as truth, a lot of times you do stop questioning it. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, that's where I think that real thought stops because if you stop pushing it and questioning it, and, it, you know, this might be a re- misrepresentation, but this is how I see it. Uh, keep questioning when you're presented with new information, then that, that previous information changes. That's the beauty in science. It's always growing. Um, You know, and that's that's one of the things that people will hate on science about. Well, they used to think this and now they think this. Well, yeah, because we have better tools, we have Mm -hmm. better measurements, we have more people, more people studying said thing. That way you're getting in more information. Uh, So you have this beautiful amalgamation of belief and a beautiful amalgamation of theories and things like that, that that change and ebb and flow as um, what we know to be true changes because I don't think truth is stagnant some things maybe um but a lot of things are not stagnant in what they are you know if uh, if you've seen the news of the the spacecraft that we saw or well we won't call it a spacecraft the unidentified flying object uh that had been talked about i talked about it on another podcast uh, joe rogan had had the, the guy on his uh captain friedman i believe um So that that turns it on its head. You're talking about a guy who's been in the Air Force for years uh, and sees an aircraft doing things that are not possible with what we know. So it takes information and flips it on its head. And if we ever figure out what that thing is and figure out how it does what it does, it will completely change all the things and how we thought about those things. Right. Uh, Or add another portion of the equation that we were simply missing and didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And that's
2: a scientific method. You know, yeah. formulate a hypothesis, test that, and see if that hypothesis is true. And guess what? If your tests suggest that that hypothesis that hypothesis is not true, you can test it again. But after a certain amount of time of that test failing, you just gotta accept that that thing's not true. And then the opposite side of that is, it does not matter if your test proves that thing true a thousand times. Once there's a test that proves it incorrect, you got to think, why? What is causing this thing to say that this fact or this law that I've decided to believe has a caveat or is not necessarily always true? You have to think that way. And we do that every day in our day-to-day lives. You know, like so often you'll try some, they say it, they, and it's a silly little thing, but They say insanity is trying the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Well, the reality is is that the way that we live our lives is organized in a way that we're constantly testing and trying out new things. And when we learn that something works better than what we're currently using, a person who is thinking logically makes that change. And I'm not saying that I'm always a person that's saying logically, you're looking at a fat guy. Obviously, (laughs) the things that I've been doing on a day-to-day basis are not optimal, and I haven't changed them. So I I can understand that, but...
0: Wait, wait, wait. Cheeseburgers and not exercising is bad?
2: (laughs) It's been working great, man. I'm physically in the prime of my life. (laughs) I read the dad bods are in, so I just been doing my part. Heck yeah, man. My wife doesn't seem to be... Well, actually, that's not true. She's like, you need to exercise more. And she's not wrong.
0: Damn, dude. Damn, bro.
2: Yeah, yeah. That
0: that is an interesting thing. And then when you look into bits like uh, when you start looking into quantum theory and you start looking into chaos theory and those different things and you know those different perspectives, which um, those inside themselves would take hours and hours and hours um, to fully explain. Nor do I have the ability to fully explain mm-hmm. them. Uh, but just having a like a peripheral understanding of them, you know. Sometimes you will find that variable. Then mm-hmm. the idea is that uh, anything is possible, and that's how they base things. Um, the terminology changes. What people might consider a miracle, chaos theory and quantum theory and things of that nature would consider that a, a anomaly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a it, while it is an anomaly. It's a guaranteed fact that it's going to happen because anything that can happen will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that's the notion because anything is simultaneously not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but everything is happening on multiple planes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, um, Stephen Hawking had a touch base on this just slightly um, and several other scientists have have mentioned this where they think that there are simultaneous planes of existence going on uh, in layers. So this very conversation right to that pause, Uh, are being done in multiple universes, but then one thing might change and this one, Mm -hmm. I snap and that other one, I don't. Uh, And then that creates some unique pathway uh, that becomes different than this universe and so on and so forth.
2: So everything that can
0: happen will happen.
2: And the number of iterations are infinite. So not only will it happen once, but it will happen in infinite amount of time and understanding the concept. So you're kind of, you're kind of touching on the exact process that I went through. So when I was younger, um, I was really kind of more concerned about like getting laid and what most, and stuff like that. not so, very crazy like I, I, <laughs> so I wasn't super invested in trying to understand the world around me very much um and that didn't really start to happen until I was in like my mid or early to mid twenties and so- I really started investigating those types of things, things like um I started to understand math a little bit better mm-hmm. I got a uh, uh, better versed in like basic mathematics and algebra and calculus and geometry and those types of things. And then I took physics classes and I started to understand those things a little bit better. And then through the beauty that is podcasting, I was introduced to all of these public intellectuals, not just through podcasts, but also just through the internet. We started throwing all these ideas out there into the, into just the, the zeitgeist people were kind of ingesting these ideas and we starting to, bat them around as if they were potentially true. And so what I would end up doing is I would take my world and my understanding of my world, and I would take this narrative that was Christianity, because that was where I was deeply ingrained at the time. And I would try to use that narrative to make sense of my experiences. And oftentimes it, it was not always useful. And then sometimes it was really useful. But like in an allegorical way, in like a, um, I guess a, oh gosh, like there there were narratives that existed in there that if I read those narratives and I just ingested the the meaning behind the narratives, I could benefit from that. But when I tried to apply like a discerning eye to like what was actually being said there and to take it seriously, I couldn't do it. It just did not make sense. There's a whole lot of stuff that was being described as happening that when I took this opposite narrative, which was the physical world and the laws that are, um, that we, that we exist in and what defines those laws and why, uh, you know, just like kind of like the mechanics of physics, like basic physics. And then I got more invested and I took like higher level physics classes and we, they started talking about like more abstract concepts and, um, then the whole like the whole thing of like a sub, the somatopic realm and quanta and all of that those concepts were introduced to me and I could start from the beginning and work my way in a linear pattern through all of that stuff and there were gaps that didn't make sense but then when you would ask a person who was well versed on those they'd just be like yeah we don't fully understand those things yet and I can take that I can take somebody looking at me and saying to me. You know, we just don't have a good answer for why that observation is being made. What I struggled with was when I would go to maybe one of my, my peers or my, um, even my mentors in this church group that I was with, and they'd give me an explanation. I was like, no, no, I, that explanation is obviously not what's going on here.
0: Well, you have to appreciate the confidence of it all. Oh, yeah. And you can see the allure that, you know, that's one of the allure and I, I, uncertainty is tough.
2: Oh, it's, it's my least favorite thing in the world. Yeah. It's not I, knowing what's going to happen next. Right. And I think that's
0: a lot of people's thing is is that fear of the unknown. It's it's an old tired adage, but doesn't make it any less true, whether it's cliche or not. Um and i think that that's you can see that allure. you look at the christians and you look at the catholics you look at the muslims you look at the jews and they're all so content in that truth for them and that's fine it's okay you know that those are things that i hadn't thought about it they stop questioning because they like oh, i got the answer that's like solving a problem on a math test that you got the answer for you're like well i'm going to fucking work it backwards you know, why would you do that unless like, you're obsessed with math or whatever? So I, I see the allure in that. And you, you, it's a really valid point uh, that, that you know, you're dancing around that. It's like you would get these these answers, you know, much like creationism. Creationism is a much um, cleaner, less roundabout way of how we all came to be. Um, but one of the things that is is interesting to me be, is that we have an infinite number of stars you know, in the in the universe, in the galaxies beyond. And you ask somebody, well, do you believe in aliens? Well, no, no. Why, why would I believe in that? Well, do you believe in God? Yeah, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Huh. So you, you have an absolute likelihood that there is life somewhere else. Because if there's th- that much out there and all that void with nothing living out, out there that resembles, you know, a sentient consciousness, much like what we have here in some way. I'm mm-hmm. not saying what it looks like. It doesn't have to be green with or green or gray with big black eyes. You don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, that's just future know. Us. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. You, that's that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah, dude, it, the the confidence in one but not the other, I I just don't see the lines of logic being drawn there. Mm-hmm. You know, you have faith in one because there's a book written on earth 2000 years ago that said it was a thing and you have no doubt about that and <laughs> i like the joke that ricky gervais again i'll bring him up just because the show's fresh on my mind uh he made a joke about it he's like uh he's talking with a young lady who's christian and i'm not hating on anybody i'm just mm-hmm. this is a joke it's funny uh he's like do you believe in uh muhammad do you believe in allah well, no, not really. Uh, do you believe in um, what's the Jewish God? Yahweh. No, Yahweh's the Christian God. That's the the actual I think name. It's for the, the same
2: one, though, right?
0: Maybe, yeah.
2: And then he goes, no, just, oh, "Yes, in, yeah." But he's so. got a bunch of names, right? God so in the Bible has a bunch of names. Yeah.
0: Do you believe in Zeus? And she goes, "No." Do you, Do you believe in, in Hercules or Aphrodite or any? No, no, no. But you believe in the Christian God, right? And he goes, you're only one God away from being an atheist. (laughs) (laughs) So it it is interesting how we pick and choose. And again, that's not, that's not picking on anybody. Mm -mm. It's funny because it's true. You know, you you have your thing and it's fine. Um, But when I I ask you questions about it, don't get upset. It's just me Mm -hmm. doing my process, Mm -hmm. you know, and I want to push you, you know, just to think that's it, you know, and some of the things don't mesh well with me. Like you don't believe in aliens, but you believe in a higher being. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's and you, know a, you
2: make it, you make a great point because I've been speaking mostly on Christianity because, um, I'm a white male born in the U S in the Bible belt. Like that, that's what mm-hmm. my experience has been. Oh boy. Um, but there are lots of religions that exist across the planet and oftentimes the reason why you are a follower of that religion is because of the place where you were born that's um, true which makes sense because it it has been a useful tool since the beginning of humanity to take the wisdom that the people before you pass on to you and internalize that so that you could benefit from that and that's what that's basically what the acceptance of the christian narrative or the Muslim narrative or the Jewish narrative is it's like taking on this the this set of like these tools that you can use in order to organize your life in an effective and meaningful way and one of the cool things that I've been realizing and this is a part of the reason which led me to make the decision that I made was I started listening to people who were um be, who were believers of other religions and, and listening to them talk, and then the interesting thing that happened was I stumbled upon, up, across Ben Shapiro. And you can say what you want about Ben Shapiro; is also extremely he's a constre- extremely conservative man, and he's, a he's very sharp. outspoken man. He's very a very, very intellectual man. But when he starts talking about Judaism, which he is mm-hmm. a a strong, uh, he's a, a, a practicing. Jewish man. He follows the laws of the Torah and the Talmud and he wears his yarmulke and he does his whole Jewish thing. But when you talk to him about God he, and he really genuinely talks, I was like, and he's like, no, I don't. I, I do. I believe in it. I choose to believe in all of it because it brings so much value to my life. But as an intellectual who's also really thought about what he truly believes in i think he also knows that this narrative can't be the truth but he also sees how much he'll benefit if he chooses to believe that it's the truth and so he does and so that's part of the reason why like i don't proselytize um i didn't when i was a christian just because i it's a hard thing to do to like to try to go out and spread the gospel, it's it's the big thing you're asked to do, but you don't often get re- positive reception from people when you try to do that unless they're already Christians.
0: Um, if you're Mormon, it makes a great musical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, but um, I don't I don't want people who are Christians to stop being that just because I am or because I have. Because I don't want to take anything from their life that that brings them value, and I don't want to ask them to throw out this framework that is really meaningful to them and that has defined who they are as a person and who's defined their family and their children and every and the community in which they is they're a part of. I don't want them to throw that away, but I would hope that those people would think deeply about why they believe what they believe and what things they should take seriously and what things they shouldn't. Because what ends up happening is you end up with leaders that are making decisions for everyone, not just Christians, not just their family, not just their friends, but for all people who are basing a lot of what they believe and a lot of the policies that they're creating and the decisions they're making on this narrative that applies to them and they've accepted it, but doesn't apply to everybody and not everyone is accepting it. And when you find yourself in that situation, well, then you, you have to debate, you have to debate because if somebody is going to tell me that I have to behave in a certain way because their God tells me that I have to, Christians aren't going to accept that. There are so many uh, people of faith who when another faith comes in and tries to express to them this new value, there's a there's a lot of pushback. We don't want Muslims in this country. You know, like there's so, all of that craziness that we get and all this tribalism that happens around different uh, belief systems, it's, It comes from not being willing to accept that you could be wrong. I can accept that there are a lot of things that I truly believe to be true that might not be true. And so I don't want to force other people to try to believe what I think. Because right now, if you were to ask me what I think in terms of the origins of all things, I mean, I'd say we're probably living in a simulation. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, most people are not ready to accept that and they don't want to accept that. And there'd be a lot of pushback. So I don't want to try to force that down anyone's throat.
0: You Alex I mean? Jones here to finish up this interview. Uh, <laughs> I'll give the time to sell my vitamins.
2: <laughs>
0: You're no. a lizard person. <laughs> Hillary Clinton wants to eat your children. I don't know why she <laughs> don't get that. <laughs> um. But uh, mad love for you, Alex Jones. Uh, you're a little bit of the R word. You told us mm-hmm. that. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I totally get what you mean. Um, but I do think that there is, that's a slippery slope. We're saying because we do want people to abide by what uh, are considered universal truths. Um, things that have been tested so many times that, you know, even if you did have that one outlier that one time, the other million times that you did that thing, we know exactly how it's going to go. Like gravity, you know, trillions of times at this point. Uh, the law of conservation of energy, the law of conservation of matter, things that we know to be universally true. Is there, is there going to be something uh, in the Marvel universe that's going to figure out a way to, to throw a wrench in the gears? It may have, okay, maybe somewhere. You know, it's, it's a it's possibility. But, you know, that's that's where my issues come with it. I don't want to go down a political conversation or a global scientist type thing um, because that becomes a whole nother conversation. But my only issue with it, and my only issue with it that I've ever had, um, is using yours to tell other people what to do, just like you said. And when that becomes law and we start debating things about what's right and wrong, as far as like what your sexual orientation is and who you decide to share a bed with. Um, I talked to Joe Freck about this, you know, and I I asked him, I was like, you know, I was in vacation Bible school and I did all these things and I studied the scripture. Uh, Maybe definitely not as in depth as somebody who's been through the school for divinity and things of that nature. Definitely not. But I don't recall Christ saying anything about gay people. I also recall Christ really kind of taking those, those outliers and those people that were seen as less than and taking them under his wing. And if you want to talk about somebody who is an outlier or someone who might feel disenfranchised, I mean, you definitely think about the gay people, mm-hmm. you know, and that's my problem. When we talk about implementing laws that's, that keep these people from getting married, uh, when realistically it should be their freedom, you know, because you wouldn't want uh, here in America, we are based upon a Christian set of values from our founding fathers and so on and so forth. Uh, regardless, if you want to believe that or not, that's just history, man. Go back and look. Um, so if we did have someone who is of the Muslim faith or the, uh, the Islamic faith uh, come in and say, you know, all women need to cover their faces or cover their head with the hijab uh, and do the, those things now we would be very reluctant Mm -hmm. to incorporate that on a national level. Uh, So I don't understand how they can't make that connection and say, hey, we're not willing to make that uh, an overall rule for everyone here. Even though that is their thing, we'll let them have their thing and the people that adhere to that, they can do their thing and we give them respect for that. Yet when it doesn't fit the particular narrative that they like uh, within their thing, They want everybody to abide by it. And by asking people to allow gay marriage is not asking everybody to believe in it. Mm -hmm. Because you still give the preacher the right to say no, the priest the right to say no to being uh, overseeing that ceremony. Now, when you get into conversation of people like here in Kentucky, for those that aren't familiar, there was a young, well, a middle-aged woman named Kim Davis who works in a government position and gay marriage had become law and she refused to do her job based upon her faith. Well, when you're talking government and you're talking your job, the delineations are different. You have a job to do if you work for the government and you truly want to um, demonstrate that you have more of a principle based in your faith than you do that job, then she should have quit. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that, that that job changed, but that's kind of the thing. Uh, that would be like me not as an uh, educator, me saying, fuck the curriculum. I'm going to teach whatever I want. Mm-hmm. So I have certain rules that are put in line, even though I do have some uh, autonomy in my classroom and how I run things and how I get to that material, still got to do my job at the end of the day. And I, th- I think that she failed to realize that. And I think that that's problematic. Uh, when mm. you get those pieces of faith to come in and tell us how everybody's going to live their life. You just can't, just can't do that. But yeah. I think you do have those unifying principles like we talked about. I don't think anybody wants to rape uh, and those people should be in prison. Uh, the murderers, though, those in there with the rapists, the thieves, you
2: know, these are things
0: that people universally can't stand. Mm. So
2: yeah. Yeah. And you know, and there are reasons why, um, if you read, there's a, there's a book that I've – or there's an author whom I'm a very big fan of. He's an Israeli man. His name is Yuval Noah Harari, and he's written three books. The first one was Sapiens. The second one – Sapiens is amazing. Yeah. The second one was called um, – oh, gosh, what was it called? Homo Deus was the second one. And the third one was called *A 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And if you've never read those books and you're interested in, like, human origins and potentially even, like, the future of humanity and, and what our species has become, it's an interesting – uh, hypothesis on what that might look like from a very well-informed and very smart person. Um, but he basically describes for us, you know, why we have these universal values. It's because we've evolved in such a way to where we need to be able to cooperate. It's very, very important. And then once you start to understand game theory a little bit more and how um Basically, we're all just playing this one big game that is life and we're and the rules are, there's an infinite number of rules depending on what situation you find yourself in and just trying to play the game in the most effective way to get the desired outcome is how it works. And the desired outcome for most humans for the majority of the, of the time that there's been humans was let's not all die. And yeah. one of the main ways that we were able to accomplish that was let's work together. And you don't want to work with somebody who might also try to force you into a sexual encounter with them. So it's not highly valued or you don't want to work with somebody who's going to kill you. So we don't value that. And those are better explanations for why those rules exist in our society to me than God told us that that's bad or that's good. So if you can come to me with a, a better explanation or a simpler explanation or one that makes more sense, you know that's the one that I'm going to gravitate towards because that's my disposition. Mm. Um, I value truth and I want to know the truth, and uh, you know, and that's not something that necessarily everybody values. And, and I'm not trying to criticize that. It's it's interesting that you use the analogy of homosexuality because when I was, that's one of the things that's probably been the most, or was the most difficult thing for me to internalize when I was a Christian, the thing that turned me away from the church when I was a younger person was I have a family member. Her name's Shirley and she's wonderful. And her wife, Kathy is also wonderful. And I've known about them as a lesbian couple since I was very young. I didn't know they were gay when I was really little. I thought they were sisters. I was like, these two sisters, they just live together in the same house and they have like mm-hmm. a beach house together or like a lake house together. And we go there on derby. And It's awesome.
0: It is Kentucky, so I don't cast judgment. Uh,
2: But they didn't have the same last name, and (laughs) they only got married recently, obviously, because it's only been legal for a few years. But um, when I was in a church gathering, there was a preacher, and he said that, you know, God thinks of homosexuals as as being abominations. I was like, you know, Shirley's not an abomination. You know, she's a really kind and funny and interesting human being. I just can't accept that. Um, but the reason that I felt that way is because i had had that experience where I, I, I knew a gay person. And I really do think it, a lot of it has to do with your experiences and, and who you know and what you know and the information that you've had the privilege of being able to receive throughout the course of your life. So you talk about Joe, and you know Joe is a Christian um but what joe i feel like has chosen to value from the teachings that he's received as a christian are really the things that work well you know like love compassion grace encouragement um and when you do those things yeah like there's a lot of stuff that you can that that you can benefit from but when you choose to focus on the things that take liberty from other people, yeah, that becomes a huge problem, especially when you're a person who's in charge and you're making decisions for all people. Uh, it's, it's so difficult because everything, every, everything, even small things are so complex. And the subtle nuances of all, all of these things, it's just too much for one single person to try to fully understand. So, from my perspective now, I'm 31. I was a Christian for 10 years. Played music in a band for that church for 10 years. Led Bible studies. Prayed in front of people. I mean, I even preached in front of a group of people. Um, and it came from a place of of love and of of just. A genuine desire for edification, like I want to be better, I want to grow, and I want to learn. And I think if you can take that away from your religion, no matter what it is, then that's awesome. If you're using it as an avenue to try to be better and to try to love others more and to try to give more grace and to show more empathy – and to just be a better person, then I'm totally cool with religion. And you said it earlier, and you've all—Noah Harari explains it in *Sapiens*. That's why religion exists. We have to be able to cooperate on large, large scales. Chimpanzees can't. They live in groups of 150, 100 to 150. Big, big groups of chimps, smaller groups of chimps also exist, and they don't have cities, and they don't have cars, and they don't have books, and they don't have literature. But human beings do because we were able to figure out a way to get not just our tribe, but other tribes all to be able to invest all of their energy and all their passions and all of their combined knowledge and understanding towards accomplishing one goal together. And the way that we did that was by organizing them all around and with one religion. You may not be a member of my tribe, but you're a follower of my religion. So I can cooperate with you and we can get something done together. And that has to continue to happen. And he also describes how, Religion has changed. He talks about how in early humanity, we were naturalists. We worshiped trees. We worshiped the sun. We worshiped the sky. Then we kind of evolved into where we would worship previous ancestors because those motherfuckers were smart. Yeah. Like that dead guy, he could turn berries into this awesome drink that would make you feel fantastic. He had (laughs) a lot of wisdom. We should worship that guy. He has the magic drink. You know he can he could he could heal your uh, bug bite with his powder that he found. He was magical, so we worshipped our ancestors, and that slowly became deism. And then, if you listen to him talk, kind of since the Protestant Reformation, we've moved a little bit away from deism into something that he calls humanism, where value was no longer given to us by God, like it was given to us by people during. You know, like the Renaissance, what made a painting beautiful? Well, what made a painting beautiful is is God made it beautiful. That's why you'd see so many paintings about, like, Jesus. In the 60s, if you asked Andy Warhol, what makes your painting beautiful? He'd say, I made it beautiful. Your interpretation of it makes it beautiful. Human beings make it beautiful, and their perceptions of it make it beautiful. And now we've moved into this new realm where data is the... The giver of value, and he calls it dataism. What makes your podcast valuable? Well, you're disseminating data to more people. The more people that are going to be listening to it, the more valuable your podcast is. Google, the most valuable of all companies. Well, I guess Apple or Amazon. Amazon's the most valuable company yeah, in, in the nation. The game.
0: <laughs> yeah, Jeff, good old Jeff Bezos.
2: What do they do more than anything else? Well, they they disseminate stuff, which is arguably maybe the most powerful religion in in our current environment we materialism. worship the materialism yeah. and the dollar more than anything else but it's also this collection of data you know so once you f- but but who wants to think about that who wants to really spend a lot of their time thinking about those things most people don't have time most people have a nine to five
0: yeah, most people have kids. a family
2: that and kids exactly
0: animals,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, and, and that's, shit that they got to take care of.
0: That's that's always something that uh, you know that that bugs me, and we we encounter this in elections, and we encounter this in a lot of different things because people make decisions based on ignorance because it does take time, and ignorance does not mean stupid. Don't take me saying ignorant as bad. Uh, we all do things out of ignorance. I do. I, I'm very ignorant about cars. So when that mechanic comes and talks to me, well, I'll tell you what, thing, uh, the thing, dang, and the dang, dang, dang. And I'm like, okay, go ahead and fix it. <laughs> you know, and he could have just blew smoke up my butt, but I would have no clue. But I spent the better part of five hours the night before the last election sitting in bed looking at all the candidates to make as an informed decision as i could and realistically i'm probably still not as informed on those people as i should be cuz you know you're talking about uh on each ticket you know there's 40 or 50 people on each ticket of things that you're you know looking for uh in those different public offices at the local and um the broader level the federal level so and it You know, I felt better about the people that I was choosing, you know, and I I did it in a bipartisan way. I voted for Republicans and I voted for uh, Democrats and I voted for a libertarian candidate. And, you know, I voted for who I thought was the best. And it all took that research and the questioning. And it is tough. You know, I spend hours and hours and hours listening to multiple podcasts on this subject. Uh, Jordan Peterson is one that I like. Uh, he often explores a lot of these things. He's uh, He is one that kind of bridges the gap between science and Christianity. He's an avid Christian, uh, yet he is this brilliant uh, philosopher, philosopher and psychologist. Uh, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Sam Harris, who is a neuroscientist and looks everything in a very dry cut way. And you listen to them talk ad nauseum about things that um are putting into perspective what the the outcomes of the universe are and then you're reading the books like sapiens and you're reading books by individuals uh named sebastian junger tribe i've referenced that before and there's a lot of different things and a lot of information um the guy that i had on my podcast david hoover has an entire library literally an entire floor to ceiling, about eight foot ceiling uh, and probably about 15 foot wide section of his library dedicated to philosophy and religion. And the crazy part about it is I know for a fact he's read all that stuff. You know, and it's insane. That's why he is one of the most insightful, introspective, thoughtful, intelligent people I've ever had the, uh, the benefit of talking to. And it takes work. And not all of us are meant to be that peak of intelligence. It's never mm-hmm. been that way, and that's okay. Uh, if you're just going to be your normal person, you're doing your job. And you're like, "Hey, man, I don't want to think about it." Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus is is the way for me to get salvation after this, and I'm comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Not, I am not faulting you for that. Yeah, that is a not nice, all of us. Yeah, that's a peace of mind that I don't always have.
2: Yeah, and not all of us are privileged enough to have the amount of time. I mean. I read *Sapiens* and *Homo Deus* and all those other books. *Waking Up* by Sam Harris. I read those, cutting my grass and going for jogs. You know, like I did, reading them is not necessarily fair. A lot of those books I listened to on audiobook. Yeah. Um, while I was doing other things, partially because who has the time to really sit down and like dive into a really dense intellectual piece of literature is hard to do. I would listen to it and then I I could rewind it every few minutes so I could listen to that shit three or four times right. before my brain could fully wrap itself around this profound statement that I just heard this person made.
0: And it's evolution. Lucky. It's evolution I'm, of information. Yeah. Because the, the written word is great. Um, but like you said, we're all so damn busy because mm-hmm. you know, it's just what, what we've been brought to, to believe is the best way to do things. And that, that goes down to a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great point, you know, and, and I think if people do hop onto this medium, the, the audio um, interview medium, long form, and these, these heavy conversations, the audio books, uh, that's exactly how I listened to The God Delusion um, by Richard Dawkins. Mm-hmm. that was a life changing book for me. Uh, I've listened to some things from Christopher Hitchens. I've listened to a ton of stuff, a, a lot of different books. Um, you know, and I just use my my time as wisely as I can, my drives to work rather than you know, I still love music. don't get it twisted. It means the world to me. Um, but a lot of that time is spent listening to podcasts and taking in information um to and fro and i think that 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 was a misconception for podcasting in the early get-go is that you couldn't get any real information that's just a couple dudes in their basement talking about some bullshit and you're gonna try and come to me and quote a podcast tell me and i'm supposed to change me and i don't know why i go to that character <laughs> i don't mean to be hateful um that's just <laughs> that's my experience I
2: think we're in I- kentucky
0: yeah, I worked And at the that's coopers. how a lot of people sound. <laughs> right. Yeah, those and when I worked at the coopers a lot of those rural guys and and again, ignorance. You know, they they didn't know what it was the what the, the medium was cuz I've been listening to podcasts since like 0708 and uh really changed my life like legit. And uh that's why I've sought to do this. It's not just like, oh man, let me hop on this like cool new thing that's like happening. Maybe I can sell a couple t shirts. So let's shut, let's do this. <laughs> you know, and again, I'm not hating, but I've met people like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, <laughs> so yeah, man. Uh I think that was those were some beautiful musings about that. Um, but I like to keep these conversations um as palatable as I can and keep them right at about an hour. You know, so that I can reach as many people as I can because I, I know it's difficult for a lot of people uh, to keep their attention spans longer than that. Uh, and I know everybody is like dying to follow the Rogan model. They're like, I will talk for three fucking hours. Everybody will love it because they <laughs> love Rogan. And you're like, well, okay, man. That, that's great. And uh, I did love the podcast that you did, not shitting on you at all. It was a beautiful hang. I loved it. Uh, I actually listened to it complete and it's an entirety again. And it was like being back with the hang and especially during all this COVID 19 shit, it was great to escape. Mm. Um, But yeah, man, I I like to end this uh, with individuals talking about inspiration just because I think it's a, it's a really nice and thoughtful way to send this off. So when we talk about agnosticism, maybe you're not talking about like, you know, what inspired you to do that? That's, you know, in the way of a person or something like that. But maybe your faith in general, use a person. Who's inspired you to be that thoughtful, um, well-rounded human
2: that you consider yourself to be? I'm trying very hard to be. Yeah. You know, it's that's hard to say. It's hard to say who was one big inspiration for me. Jordan Peterson was a big one. Um, Clean your room. Joe Rogan was yeah, a I big mean. one. Get your shit together and stop making excuses for why you don't know what you need to be doing. Yeah, But but I guess if I want to leave with encouragement, I would say whether you're agnostic, whether you're full-blown atheist, whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or you are Jewish or Buddhist or whatever you choose to believe, Uncle Andy said it best, you know, like we're, we're doing this together. No one human being has the wherewithal and the information and the amount of energy to accomplish all of the goals that are necessary to achieve the best of what we can be as a species. So we have to work together and we have to cooperate. And the way that that happens is through empathy and compassion and kindness and love for each other as human beings and as people with profound and unique experiences Every single one of us have profound and unique experiences. And when you can learn to love other people um, and you can learn to interact with them in a way that supersedes misconceptions or supersedes disagreements and just choose to love that person for the things about them that are lovable and to invest and be kind to other people that's how that's how progress happens and also that's how relationships are built and there's joy in that so all people benefit ourselves included when we are kind and empathetic and compassionate to one another so i'll just encourage everybody no matter what you think i don't want you to change your mind i don't want you to behave any differently unless it means you're kinder to the people that you're interacting with. You love them and show them more grace.
0: That's a perfect way to end this, man. Um, if, you'd, uh, if you'd like to plug your your own podcast, that'd be a great sure. time for you to do it. I'd love for you to do that because uh, I love being on there. I think it's a great thing you're doing.
2: Yeah. You know, like I've really expressed in this conversation, how much I value community and how much I value social interaction. So a while back I realized I don't get to talk to my friends enough and I want to make up a bullshit reason to have them over to my house and chat for long periods of time. So I started a podcast. It's called just friends. Uh, my name's Mitchell Embry. So that's probably the only way you're going to find it because unlike you with a super unique podcast name, I think there's about three others that have mine. So mm-hmm. check out just friends, Mitchell Embry. Um, Uh, mostly you're just, I'm just chatting with friends and people from my, uh, group that I appreciate and that I enjoy. And we just dive into who we are as people and where we came from. Um, you know, that understanding of, of who a person is really makes it a lot easier to love them. And so I think that's a big part of it. Uh, so yeah, those come out every Sunday at 5am. I don't know why I picked that day or that time, but that's when (laughs) they come out. So you can check that out, uh, anywhere you get your podcasts.
0: Beautiful. And I think, uh, if you uh, enjoy the idea of what I'm doing here with what the niche and things of that nature, you could definitely streamline all on over into his. And then the message is, is very similar. Mm-hmm. And I think you get those in-depth conversations to see that we're all in this together. Absolutely, so, brother. I'd like to thank you, brother. Appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me.
2: Thank you. This was fun, man.
0: Beautiful, man. Take it easy. You too, brother.